Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22, and reading through the fourth verse of chapter 6. I'm going to get this out of the way before I smack it. So, Ephesians chapter 5, verses uh, 22 through chapter 6, verse 4. If you're using uh, one of the pew Bibles, you will find these verses beginning on page 978. For the past several weeks, we have been considering the defining marks of discipleship. Around here, we regularly say that the church's mission is to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ through the Spirit-empowered ministry of the Word. And this clearly implies that if the church is to be about the business of making disciples, then the ministry of God's people, when they are out and about amongst the community, is to live as disciples, to walk as becomes the followers of Christ. What does this mean exactly? What does it mean to be a disciple or to walk as a disciple? And for several weeks now, we have been attempting to answer that question. We began by noticing that the initial defining mark of a disciple is repentance and faith. It is a response of repentance and faith to the gospel that that moves us from being outside the community of God's people to being a member of his people. And that act of repentance, that response of repentance, is a response that necessarily leads us into worship of the one true God as we acknowledge and honor Him for who He is and give Him thanks for what He has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that true worship will necessarily then overflow in a life of new obedience as we endeavor to honor the one we have acknowledged to be our king. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that new obedience is first and foremost characterized by a life of self-denial and neighbor love. Beginning this morning, and for the next several weeks, we will be considering how that self-denial and neighbor love show themselves in our lives, in our particular callings. We live as husbands and wives. We live as, as families. We, we, we go to work. We have friends. We, we have neighbors. We, we live in a community. How does it show itself if we live lives of self-denial and neighbor love in all of these various eras? That is the question that will be before us for the next several weeks. And this morning... Very fittingly, on a morning when we celebrate together a a baptism of a covenant child, we will be beginning by asking, what does self-denial and neighbor love look like in our families? Between a husband and a wife, between a parent and a child, and between siblings. And So with that goal in mind, with that question before us, let us pray and ask for God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, we come before You humbly this morning asking that your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words, would now open our minds to understand them and our hearts to receive them. 
that we might bring forth their fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. This is the very Word of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is the reading of God's Word. In these verses, we have Paul's instructions to households. And in the very first verse, we have what is considered to be one of the most important foundation stones in what has been called the doctrine of male headship. Paul says clearly, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so there is here a a clear statement of a husband's headship. We also have a clear statement of parental authority. Again, Paul says it. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So we have a a clear statement of a husband's headship. We have a, a clear statement of parental authority. The problem is, to many... This sounds diametrically opposed to the idea of self-denial and neighbor love. Sure, wives and children are being told to deny themselves. They are being told to deny themselves as they submit and obey. But to many, it sounds like husbands and parents, particularly fathers, are, are being given permission to assert and serve themselves. This morning, I want to show you that this is a gross misunderstanding of Paul's teaching. In no way is Paul giving permission to husbands and to fathers to assert their own interest and to demand their own way. But to the contrary, in these verses, Paul is showing us what it looks like for every member of the family. 
both husbands and wives, both parents and children, to deny themselves and to love well the other members of their families. Let's begin with husbands and wives. As I said, Paul clearly teaches the the husband's headship. We we see it there in verses 22 through through 24. He he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. And he goes on to say, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And so, in a marriage, the husband is the head, and the wife is to submit to his leadership. In fact, Paul says that the wife is to submit in everything. Now, in our culture, we assume that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Therefore, when we hear Paul's language, it unsettles us. We, we assume he is giving permission to husbands to, to, to serve themselves and demand their own way. We, we assume that he is setting us up for some sort of abusive relationship. But if we will simply keep reading, we should quickly realize that this is not the case. Look with me again at verses 25 through 28. Paul goes on to write, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Think for a moment about what it is that that Paul is saying. He is clearly not giving permission to husbands to serve themselves and demand their own way. On the contrary, he is calling husbands to lay down their lives for the sake of their wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, gave himself up even to death for her, so also should husbands love their wives. And when we see this, it ought to radically reshape our understanding of headship. Headship is not a license for husbands to serve themselves. But rather, headship is a charge to the husband to give his life in the service of his wife and of his family. He is to give himself away in leading them to be faithful servants of their one true King, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know that he has that service to the King in mind because of the allusion that he makes in verse 31. Notice in verse 31, Paul alludes to the original mandate given to mankind all the way back in the garden. He he, he speaks of, of a man leaving and cleaving to his wife and then becoming one flesh. That reminds us of why Eve was given to Adam in the first place. You'll remember that when God first created mankind, he, He called them to take dominion of His creation. Now, Dominion is another one of those terms that is often distorted and abused in our our culture today. We have to remember that, that taking dominion was not a call to dominate. It was not a call to use and abuse, but rather it was a call to stewardship. 
The goal of dominion, the goal of the dominion mandate, was the establishment of God's good kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Adam and Eve were to uh, take all the, uh, the, the, the goodness of the garden and to extend it to the ends of the earth. However, Adam was alone when he received this command. In fact, it was his first endeavors to fulfill this mandate that revealed to him that it was not good for him to be alone. And it was in response to his need for a helper suited to him that God created Eve and gave her to Adam for a wife. So think about what that means. Think about how that helps us to understand the roles that we have been given by God. The husband is, is something like the captain of a ship who has received orders from the admiral. His ship has a mission. I think of Captain Picard out on the Enterprise, right? He has, he has a mission out in uh, the universe that he is to be fulfilling. And what is that mission? It is to exp expand God's peace to the ends of the earth. And as head, as, as the captain of the ship, he is not free to use the ship as his personal pleasure liner. Headship is not a license for him to indulge himself and to demand his own way, but on the contrary, his headship is a charge, it is a commission, it is a responsibility to lead the ship in the execution of the admiral's orders. And therefore, the first officer, the, the wife, is not there to serve his every whim, but rather she is there to help him accomplish the mission that he has been given by the admiral. Obviously, she must submit to the captain, her, her husband. She is not to undermine or resist his leadership, but she submits to him in service of the one who's truly in charge. She submits to him because she submits to the admiral. This is what Paul means when she says to wives that they are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. And hopefully you, you see how this is, is radically different than the common misunderstanding of, of headship that is so common in our culture today. Yes, the husband is the captain, and yes, by God's Mysterious wisdom, the, the wife is the first officer, but neither is the admiral. The first officer helps the captain lead the ship in fulfillment of the admiral's orders. And so the husband does not serve himself, and nor does the wife serve herself, and really neither serves the other directly but rather they both deny themselves. They deny, deny their own interests. They, they set aside their own desires that they might fulfill the God-given roles that they have been given in order to serve well their one true king. In a marriage, according to God's design, each spouse denies themselves in order to give themselves fully to their God-assigned role of help or head. This is what God intends for a marriage. And we, we say that this self-denial is towards the end of neighbor love, 
Because a husband cannot love his wife better than to lead her well in the service of her king. And a wife cannot love her husband better than to help him serve his king. And so as we both seek to fulfill the roles that we have been given, as we seek to deny ourselves in order to do the work that we've been given to do, that we live together well as husband and wife. And this is why I say in a marriage, the defining marks of both the husband and the wife, not just the wife, but the defining marks of both are self-denial and neighbor love. And of course, we see the same thing with respect to parents and children. Again, Paul says clearly that children are to obey their parents. If you're here this morning and you're a child living in your parents' home, there's just simply no getting around that. You are to obey your parents. Children, you are to consider yourself subject to your parents' authority. Now, it can sound somewhat self-serving for a father to stand up here and say that. Yes, children, you're to obey me. And yet it is what God clearly says. In fact, notice what he says. This is what the Lord requires. This is what the Lord says is right. However, again, we must guard against the, the common cultural misunderstandings. This does not mean that parents, or, or fathers in particular, are free to use their, their children as, as slaves to, to serve their own interests. On the contrary, just like the relationship between husbands and wives, the, the relationship between parents and children is to be a relationship marked by mutual self-denial and neighbor love. We see this in Paul's charge to fathers not to provoke their children. Fathers are not to provoke their children by using them for selfish ends, but rather they are to bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. That language, that, that language of the instruction and discipline of the Lord, the, the language that we actually heard in the baptismal vows this morning, that, that language is remarkably similar to the language that Paul uses to describe his own ministry. In Colossians 1.28, Paul describes his own ministry this way. He says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in him. Paul instructs and Paul disciplines. Why? So that people might grow towards maturity in Christ. And he calls fathers to the same ministry. He calls parents to the, the same ministry. Ministry, And we may assume that if he is calling parents and, and, and fathers in particular to this ministry of instructing and, and disciplining, the same ministry that he himself is engaged in, that we may assume that the same goal is in mind, that these children might grow towards maturity in Christ. That's the goal of our parenting. The goal of our parenting is that our children would become mature disciples of the one true King. Children are not given to parents so that parents may have grunt laborers to serve their every whim. But on the contrary, children are a stewardship. Children are entrusted to parents so they may be trained to walk in Christ-like maturity. This is one reason that, that parents must allow their children to help them with work around the house. Now, I know that sounds odd, especially to the children here today. I think the children here today might say that parents make them do work around the house. 
But in reality, parents allow their children to do chores. Parents allow their children to, to help around the house. I sometimes joke that it only takes twice as long when your kids help. You know how this goes. It is, it is often easier, it is often more efficient for, for parents simply to do it themselves, whatever the chore might be. However, as parents, our, our goal is not always efficiency. Our, our goal is not what is easiest for us. Good parents have the goal of, of training and, and equipping their children to serve. And it is actually a dereliction of, of duty not to have your children work. Not to have them engaged in the, the work of the house. Now I'll admit that, that Sarah and I have not always done this well. We have often given in to the temptation to just do it ourselves because it was faster and it was easier. But I, I've been recently reading a book by Senator Ben Sass, and he, he makes the important point. He says, listen, it takes work to let your kids work, but it is work that you must do. It is work to, to let your kids work, but it is work that good parents are willing to do because godly parents seek to bring their children up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. Godly parents train their children to be servants of the king. And that is training that requires parents to deny themselves. So this instruction that Paul is giving to parents in no way is a license for self-indulgence, but if you are a parent, you know how much work he is calling you to. This is a call to self-denial, but again, it is a call to love because your children are image bearers of God. And they were created to find their joy and their satisfaction. They were created to find life abundant, not in serving themselves, not in pleasing themselves, not in always seeking their own interests, but they were created to find their joy and their satisfaction in serving their king and by losing their life in his service. And so loving your children means denying yourself to teach them to be servants. Now, that doesn't always sound great to the kids. The kids want to, one, uh, want to ask, well, if, if the parents are supposed to be serving me, why am I the one who has to do the work? But I hope by now that the answer is becoming obvious. Again, re remember the, the analogy that we used earlier for the relationship between husbands and wives. The, the husband is the captain, the wife is the, the first officer, but neither is the admiral, neither is the king. And there is a, a similar dynamic in the relationship between parents and, and children. Parents are the officers, children are the enlisted men, but neither is the admiral, neither is the king. Parents serve the king by training their children, and children serve the king by obeying their parents. Not because their parents are always right, not because their parents are perfectly wise, but because their parents represent God's authority in their life. You want to know why you're supposed to obey your parents? It's not because they're smarter than you, though they are. That's true, whether you believe it or not. But that's not why you obey your parents. You obey your parents because God says this is right. And one of the most important lessons you can learn before you are out on your own is that you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You are a servant of the king. That is your God-given role, not just for this stage of your life, but forever. 
Forever you will be a servant, and you must learn that you are one under authority. And one way you learn that you are under authority is by obeying the authority of the one under whose authority he has temporarily placed you. Of course, as, as you age, as you get older, the relationship changes, but, but that essential characteristic of self-denial and, and, and love will never change. At some point, you will no longer obey your parents, but you will still honor them. At some point, you may even care for your parents, but you will always relate to them as one who denies his own interests and seeks to to love them well in the name of the final and ultimate king. And of course, we could say something about the way that the children relate not only to their parents, but how they relate to one another. Paul doesn't address siblings directly in this passage, but I think what he, what he says to, to children helps us to understand how siblings should relate to one another. Because children are to obey their parents, it seems clear that, that, that children should not be co-belligerents in, in war against their parents. They, they should not be working together to help one another escape the authority of their parents or to undermine uh, their purposes for the household. But instead, siblings ought to be spurring one another on to love and good works. Ask yourself, is this how I relate to my siblings? Am I, am I their ally in serving my parents? Or are we working together to see what we can get away with? Sometimes siblings don't work together. Sometimes they just work against one another. But again, they they work against one another, either to try to get away with something or to try to provoke their sibling into sin. I'm not quite sure what's so fun about one brother provoking another brother to anger, but I did it when I was little, and and my kids do it, and most all kids I've seen do it. We, we, We pick and we provoke. But again, if if our goal is to serve our king, then how much more ought we to be encouraging and and building one another up towards the the calling that we have received? And not only should we be supporting one another, not only should we be uh, encouraging one another towards faithful obedience to our king, but we ought to be willing to do our part even when they are not. So often I I hear siblings say, well, if they're not going to do it, neither am I. If they're not going to do their part, I'm not going to do my part. But again, remember, you serve not just your parents, but the king. And by failing to do your part, you are failing to serve your king, regardless of what your sibling is doing. If you played on an athletic team and and one of your, your teammates was failing to fulfill their role on a given play, you would not say, well, since they're not doing their part, neither am I. But rather, you would seek to do your part and make up for their lack. Because your goal is ultimately not to simply do your part, but your goal is to bring about the good that which your king has called you to. So what do we see time and again throughout the the entire family? We we see that that every member of the family, husband and wife, parent and child, brother and sister, we are all called to deny ourselves and to love our neighbor, our neighbor right here in our own family. We are called to, to love them well. Obviously, this is hard. This doesn't come naturally to to any of us, and and none of us do it particularly well. And Jesus knew that we would struggle. 
It's one of the reasons in Luke 9 that he says that we must begin afresh every day. Every day we must make the decision to take up our cross and, and follow Jesus. Every day we must renew our resolve to deny ourselves and, and love our neighbor. But it's not simply something that Jesus calls us to do. It is something that he frees us to do. Remember again the familiar words of, of Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we are reminded that Jesus denied himself. And that he willingly went to the cross for us. And having gone to the cross, having been obedient even to death on a cross for us, he was exalted. He was given the name that is above every name, and he took his seat at the right hand of his Father. And because he has done this for us, we are now free to follow in his footsteps. Because he has loved us in this way, we are now free to love others. You do not have to cling to your life. You do not have to cling to your own interests. Your interests are eternally secure in the hands of the Almighty King. And because your interests are now unassailable in heaven, because your inheritance is, is beyond the, the reach of, of either the malls or the rust or the thieves, you are now free to give yourself fully to that which He promises will bring you the greatest joy. You are now free to lose your life in his service. The question is, do we believe him? Will we take him at his word? It is not always easy, but he has proven himself trustworthy. He's proven it through the resurrection of his son. He's, he's proven it through the, the, the cloud of witnesses that surround us. He's proven it even in your own experience. And so this morning, let us pray for grace to take him at his word, and to walk in the footsteps of faith as we seek to deny ourselves and love our neighbor, even in our own families. Because the promise is true. If we will lose our life in the service of our King, we will find that which is true life indeed. Because the promise is true, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we rejoice in your goodness. And we thank you for your grace. And we ask now, Father, for the grace to take you at your word and to walk in the footsteps of faith, even as we seek to deny ourselves and love well the members of our family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.